0: Now bracing for an entertainment incursion. Rolling rockabilly track. Gearing you up with the latest in horror, video games, movies, and TV. Now calibrating UFO spotting technology. Nerds, this will be your finest hour. Welcome to The Amazing Nerd Show.
1: Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is
2: Damon. And this is The Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down the finale of Secret
1: Invasion. Plus, we got film reviews for Barbie and Oppenheimer. And we're talking this week in AEW. Also, if that's not enough show for you, make sure to stop by our Patreon, where you can not only help support our show, but also get bonus content like our Best and Worst of the Week show, which we now have over 30 episodes up on our Patreon. Plus, our top-tier patrons also get bonus episodes and countdowns like our Better Late Than Never review of Black Mirror Season 6 and Worst Star Wars Moments of the Disney Plus Era. So, after the show, make sure to head on down to our show notes and find the link to our Patreon, or simply type in patreon.com amazing. Nerd Show. Oh, and one more thing—you can find the Amazing Nerd Show now on Threads. If you use the social media site, make sure to give us a follow to stay up to date with all things A and S. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on Threads. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week,
2: we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerddom. We're not mild-mannered reporters; we're mere podcasters with opinions.
0: Warning: potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check time stamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned.
2: All right, up first, we got
1: rumors of possible delays on the horizon for the MCU. Last week, we talked about how Warner may be considering delaying some films due to not being able to actually promote with, with their stars being on strike right now. Well, according to Bloomberg's sources, Disney may be considering the same thing as they claim the Marvels may be getting a delay for the exact same reasons, You know, not being able to use their stars for any type of promotion. Now, this is only a rumor and we have seen a ton of promotion for the film already. So they may still release this on time on November 11th anyway.
2: Yeah, I've got a feeling we're going to be seeing a lot more like directors and producers making the rounds, doing press to promote, you know, these projects now, Um, which, hey, I mean, you make your bed, you lay in it, right? Like it is what it is. Uh I wouldn't be surprised if Marvel, you know, goes the route of delaying the film, unfortunately, Um, which also makes me worried about, you know, series like Loki and Echo. I mean, mm-hmm. both are scheduled to come out this year, but. I mean, at least, like, the Marvels, like, they already have, like, multiple trailers, and I feel like some of the stars have already done, like, interviews, you know, for the film before the strike. Um, With Loki, they don't have any of that. No. So, it makes you really wonder, like, what direction they're going to take their press campaign, Um You know, I mean, yeah, you could do trailers and everything like that. That's fine. Um, And I guess like these press tours that, you know, all these actors go on, like how much it really helps a film or a project is probably unquantifiable. But, you know, I think it does matter. uh, And we're seeing that. And especially right now with like the lack of buzz and fanfare around Secret Invasion, I could see the MCU being really skittish about releasing Loki, you know, season two without you know a proper like press campaign so i don't know especially like you know a show like echo too um yeah i, I just wouldn't be surprised either way honestly right now but once again you know you make your bed you've got a it. i mean this is on the studios definitely not on the actors
1: well i've definitely been thinking about like the success of uh you know barbie heimer as as a you know marketing material and like meme that has been going around for like the last few months. And I'm wondering, you know, with actors not being able to be present, if, you know, we'll see studios starting to lean more heavy into trying to create these giant online. Yeah, like, social media you know, pieces. Yeah, exactly.
2: I mean, I could see that, but like prior to Barbieheimer or whatever the fuck they're calling it, they had a really strong press campaign going on. Um, you know, with the actors, you know, making the mm-hmm. rounds and, you know, Christopher Nolan was out there. So, and like, not every project has a big name director, like Christopher Nolan attached. So yes, it's just going to be difficult either way.
1: So I don't know, man, I, I should be interesting to say the yeah, least. I just saw it today. Uh, Barbie did 150 million for their marketing alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's insane
2: yeah yeah and I don't know like what the average is for a major like blockbuster film uh nowadays but it is like significant like it's a big mm. part of the budget so um but yeah no I don't know if it's usually that much but they probably knew this was coming and they had to hunker down and you know put even more into it but yeah I mean with fall right around the corner I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear you know more rumors of delays. Uh, you know, coming down the pipeline, so...
1: And this just in as of editing the show, just like uh, what we may be seeing from Disney and Warner, Sony is pushing back its releases as Deadline reports, *Craven: the Hunter is moving from its October release this year to August 30th of 2024. Following that, Ghostbusters Afterlife is moving from December this year to March 29th, 2024. And surprisingly, uh, we actually got an update on Venom 3 as well as it's moving from an October release of next year to now earlier for July 12th, 2023. But to get back to Disney for a second here, we actually got a poster for Loki season two, which finally gave us the October 6th release date. So it seems that that's still on track, even with the current strikes going on.
2: Well, speaking of rumors, uh, we've got a rumor about the upcoming Daredevil
1: born again series. Industry scooper, can we get some toast on Instagram, shared a rumor from their sources claiming that Matt Murdoch won't be working for the firm Nelson and Murdoch in the upcoming born again. End series, but instead will be working for another firm with Kristen McDuffie, someone Daredevil has had a short relationship with in the past in Marvel Comics. Um, they went as far to say that the new firm would actually be called Murdoch and Associates, which makes me feel like there will be some in-story reason for Murdoch not working with Foggy Nelson as far as the MCU goes. So, you know, as someone who read, you know, the comic back in the day,
2: mm. I, I was kind of surprised by this story just because in the book like it, Matt's been barred from practicing law like he's hit rock bottom and that could still happen in this series we know we know too like the shows and the films don't always follow the source material to a T which is totally fine um yeah but I guess this could kind of explain to why Foggy's not in the series if that is true and we're hearing rumors all kinds of rumors whether or not that's actually a thing um but I mean, maybe they've had some kind of falling out, and now Matt's, like, moved on to a different law firm, but, you know, shit hits the fan, and, you know, they give him the boot. I mean, that could be a possibility. I'm just really hoping that this series finds a way to capture the spirit of, you know, that original story arc, uh, and the books. Um, because it's a great story, it just, it's it's incredibly dark. <laughs> So, I'll be curious to see, like, how far Disney is willing to
1: go, you know, on one of their shows. Um, I mean, at least it's a longer series where if they need, you know, space to explain something, they I mean, it feels like there will be enough. That's right, because it's like 18 epi- episodes, yes. right? Uh-huh. Like, it's crazy long.
2: <laughs> I mean, we, we, we just finished up with Secret Invasion. That was only six. Six, So yes. Yeah, I mean, they got plenty of time to tell their story. Um, it's just... It just feels like a storyline that's better suited for, you know, when the show was on Netflix. Um, but apparently, you know, Disney's not scared of, you know, R-rated content. I mean, they are, you know, doing Deadpool 3. So, I mean, this is definitely going to push that envelope though. Well, up next, it looks like we got some good news from the galaxy far, far away, and that's an update on the upcoming Lando series.
1: Variety This Week reports that Donald Glover, who starred as Lando in Solo A Star Wars Story, will be writing with his brother Steven Glover on the Disney Plus series. So
2: I guess Justin Simeon was
1: originally attached as the writer,
2: uh, and Justin just uh, directed Haunted Mansion, uh, but that doesn't seem like the case any longer. And this must have actually transpired recently, Because he was just uh, talking about Lando on the press tour for Haunted Mansion. Uh, I think he mentioned, like, writing a script for it a while back, and he really hadn't heard anything since. So they must have decided to go a different route. Um, I mean... Donald Glover is an amazing artist uh and he was definitely like one of the highlights from the solo film so hey man give him the reins it makes sense to me
1: I mean I love his Atlanta series and I still need to watch Swarm so I'm I'm curious to see what you do with a Star Wars project
2: you know over the past couple years I feel like the solo movie has been
1: like gaining
2: fans um I still think it was okay, like it's not a horrible film, but I rewatched it like this past year and it still doesn't dazzle me at all. <laughs> um, but you know, I mean I would love to see that story that they started with the film play out and I mean a series would make perfect sense. So you could have, you know, Solo be part of this series. Um, you know, obviously focusing on Lando, but you could kind of tell his story through Lando, like what happens mm. next, especially like everything with the Crimson Dawn. Like, I want to see how that fucking plays out. Right. Give us more Maul. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> <laughs> I think Ray Park is, you know, still out there, you know, waiting for the call. Did He, he did the mocap stuff for uh, the finale of Clone Wars, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah. yeah, I mean, hell, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure he'd be willing to do it. Alright, well moving on, it looks like Paramount has huge plans for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
1: Variety reported this week that Paramount and Nickelodeon have already greenlit a sequel to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem, along with an animated series for Paramount Plus to air between the two films. They will be sticking with Point Grey Productions, along with director Jeff Rowe for the sequel film, while Chris Yost, who worked on 2003's TMNT animated series, will be joined by Alan Wan, who also worked on the 2012 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles animated series as showrunners for the Paramount Plus series that will apparently be called Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. The current film is set to actually release next week on the 2nd of August. So I don't think we
2: talked about this on the actual podcast. Um, I, think we, I think we were talking about it on the Patreon. Uh, but I thought this trailer looked fantastic, and I'm actually really excited for this. Um, I've been trying to convince my daughter to go with me, but... She wants no part of it. Like, she's too cool for school now, I guess. Like, I was actually trying to get her to uh-huh. watch the um, early 2000s series with me <laughs> last month, and she wanted nothing, nothing to do with it. You know, it's like if I suggest something nowadays, like, it's over. Like, I can't. Like, I have to trick her <laughs> to seeing things with me <laughs> at this point. Uh, but anyway, you know, like, I've always been a Turtle fan. Um, not so much like the original series, more of like the toys and everything. Uh, but, like, this just hit all the right, like, nostalgia buttons for me. Um, and this is the first time in a long time that the Turtles have felt like, you know, the Turtles of old. Um, you know, the last couple iterations, just, I don't know what was going on. Um, so, I don't know, this just hit all the right, like, nostalgic buttons, um, for me. So, uh, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, I I like the animation style. Um, definitely inspired by Across the Spider Verse, you know. Um, so it 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 felt different, but it felt familiar at the same time, which I enjoyed.
1: Yeah, I dig the art style too. I just worry about you know them doing a series version and having to probably downgrade for you know cost efficiency. You know, I yeah, I know it's it's made for you know kids, but I, I feel like is it though. <laughs> Because <laughs> there's going to be a whole lot of old hits like me watching also. So.
2: Um. I don't know. I feel like there's a way to do like a low fi version of what they're doing here, you know, with the film uh, in a series where it would work. Like, as long as it's not like too jarring, I think it'll be fine. And I think, you know, people will be accepting of it, like knowing that, OK, well, we're not going to get like a cinematic experience out of a show. Um, like, it, it, as long as it's, like, recognizable um, and not too off-putting, I, I think they should be good. Um, and I love the fact that there's going to be, like, synergy between, you know, the series and the film. Uh, but that just means that they're going to have to go big for these movies, You know, because otherwise it's going to be like, well, why am I, I can watch this on TV, you know, (laughs) Mm like, you know, why am I, you know, going to the theater? And we know nowadays it's hard to get people to the theater, so, um, and maybe that's kind of the hook, like, you'll get that full-on cinematic experience, you know, with the animation style in the theaters, um, you know, opposed to what you see in the, you know, everyday series. But, I mean, the series is just a great way to, like, flush out, like, these characters and everything, so yeah I hope it's a big success you know I love the turtles so I'll be there all right well lastly it looks like we have a casting update for fx's upcoming alien series
1: as per deadline this week the alien tv series for fx starring sydney chandler has released additional names for its cast for starters um davis of the babadook fame has been signed on along with alex lawther from the end of the fucking world plus samuel blecken from uh, 2020's dracula and peaky blinders and all also Adarsh Gurav from The White Tiger. Deadline also went on to talk about how the film is actually in production um, right now despite the current strikes with them filming scenes that don't involve SAG actors. But still no set releases um, at this time for the series. Well Christian, the day has finally arrived, the day we've all
2: been waiting for. We finally got a trailer for The Exorcist Believer. I believe you can help get our girls back. Exorcism is a ritual. Every culture, every religion, they all use different methods. It's going to take all of them. Don't be scared. We've met before. Mother. Ah, So after watching this trailer, I could literally envision like a meeting with studio execs where they're like, well, how do we top the original exorcist? And then someone raises their hand and says, I know, we'll have two girls possessed. Yes. (laughs) Um, in fairness, the trailer doesn't look awful, but it looks like every other possession film that we've had since The Exorcist. Um, I have no clue, you know, why they would be calling old ass Ellen Bernstein to come and, like, help, you know, save their daughters. Especially since she wasn't even in the room when the priest, like, saved her daughter. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm sure they signed up David Gordon Green for this project, like, directly after the success of Halloween 2018. You know, before Halloween, you know, kills and Halloween ends. Um Thinking they found someone who can keep these horror franchises going. It just feels futile. Like, just call the film something else. You know, and we've had (laughs) plenty of other, you know, Exorcist sequels. um, And most of them have been bad, except for, you know, Exorcist 3, which, you know, I think it's a, a classic in its own right um yes yes but, to each their own though yeah you know, whatever christian um <laughs> like i'm sure they're going to try to say it's pazuzu you know possessing these girls and everything and that's how they tie it all together which is fine but just make a good you know scary possession film like you don't need the cash grab of it all you know by calling it you know an exorcist movie um and i i don't honestly know if it's going to even work um you know possession films are hard there aren't many good ones out there so i mean they're all held to the bar that you know the exorcist set
1: you know way back when so i don't know it is interesting because it's like i don't feel that way necessarily to the same degree as like zombie films Where it's like, I feel like, yeah, there's a lot of bad zombie films, but there's still a lot of good ones in comparison to how many bad exorcist films I've seen over the years.
2: I think part of the reason for that is, you know, Romero gave us like three classic zombie films right out the gate. Um, And I feel like the zombie subgenre is more flexible to tell different kinds of stories where exorcism movies... Doesn't necessarily have that flexibility, or at um, least we haven't found many who can give their own unique take to you know an exorcists you know story an exorcisms you know type of story. I mean, there's been a few good ones. I mean, don't get me wrong. Um, Emily Rose was good. Uh, the Last Exorcism was good. Uh, the Conjuring, I guess you could kind of count as a possession film, right? The mom gets yeah. possessed. Yeah. Um Deborah Logan, right? The Taking of Deborah, Deborah Logan was really good. Um but it, it is really like few and far between. I think part of it is because like the the subgenre like was kickstarted by one of the greatest horror films ever made, The Exorcist. So like right away everything that comes after after it like gets compared to this masterpiece. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'll probably see it. <laughs> Um, But my expectations are really low. And it's unfortunate because I think because of, you know, who's behind the film, David Gordon Green, my expectations are really low. Um, You know, and like Halloween 2018 was fine. You know, I didn't love it as much as other people did. But man, like Halloween kills and Halloween ends. They were just the drizzling shits, Christian. Like... (laughs) (laughs) I saw them too don't worry
1: I understand And the fact
2: that this is actually supposed to be a trilogy also yes man (laughs) I definitely don't have high hopes so I mean I'll definitely check it out still because I'm a glutton for punishment but I don't know man
1: I don't know how did you feel about the trailer I think on the first watch, I, you know, knowing that it's David Gordon Green, I definitely was a little bit harsher on it than in my second time watching the trailer. Uh, I just I don't know. I I, like I laughed when I saw the hell question mark in the fortune teller um you know i i I just i feel like there's going to be those just corny elements that we got the halloween franchise that he did and that's what you know kind of concerns me because you know the original exorcist is so fucking good and has such a deeper story behind just um the possession element to it as well that i don't know is going to be actually captured in this new story yes it's about Um, a crisis
2: of faith and i mean in fairness it's a trailer so i mean that story element's not present at least here, but mm. it's a trailer. So maybe there's more to the story than they're showing. I'm sure they're going to be showing parallels between the two families. I'm guessing that's part of the reason why we've got you know, the two girls possessed. I could see that. But just the Ellen Bernstein of it all, like, <laughs> just makes no fucking sense whatsoever to me. Because um, it's not like she was the one who did the exorcism <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's weird, because there's, like, not an actual, like, there's, like, one silhouette of a priest in the trailer, but beyond that, we don't see any priest. Yeah,
2: right? And you would think, like, if they were trying to go for that, like, nostalgic vibe, and Ellen Bernstein's a fantastic actress, so, Mm. like, I understand why they gave her a call, but you would think they'd be phoning Linda Blair. Now, there are rumors that she is part of the film, but she definitely doesn't have as big of a role as Bernstein does. Yeah. So, um, you know, because what what we're hearing is that it's more of like a cameo type deal. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. Like, in, I mean, I guess story wise, you could make sense of it all. Like, you know, why Reagan wouldn't want to be anywhere near Pazuzu, right? If it is Pazuzu you know, showing up and possessing these girls. But still like, Call a fucking priest. What, what are we doing here? Like, <laughs> what is Ellen Bernstein going to do? You now know, maybe
1: be like the surrogate older priest for
2: this story. I don't like she had nothing <laughs> to do with the exorcism. Like she like she, it was
1: the last resort. Like, I mean, I mean, they they bring up Mother a bunch. I know that's probably just to more lean into. Oh, is it Pazuzu? But yeah. It, yeah. I mean,
2: and I'm sure that's where it's going. And they already um, announced the sequel. I guess it's going to be uh, coming out. April 18th, 2025, so just in time for uh, uh, Easter. Uh, so... <laughs> um, I don't know if they've already started shooting that, but Blumhouse is definitely all in on this franchise. Um, I'm just... I'm surprised that, like, before like they even started production that they announced it being a trilogy. Um,
1: it's ballsy. I will say that. Because I'm afraid that that would, like, scare off the regular viewer. Like, oh, I, I don't know what I'm getting myself into. Do I really want to, you know, prepare for a trilogy already?
2: Well, just <laughs> as a studio, like, if the uh, first one is a flop, are you going to move forward with the next two?
1: Like, it just feels like bad business. Well, if they're filming them back to back, they're probably going to have to do something. I don't think
2: they are filming them back to back, though. Hmm. So, I mean, there's a good two years in between here. So I I don't believe production has actually started on it. So, um, I don't know. Like, like I said, they're totally on board the David Gordon Green train. So, um, I mean, maybe he's got like, you know, blackmail on Jason Bloom. I don't know. (laughs) Cause it just seems uh, crazy, you know, to announce a trilogy before, you know, the first film even comes out. So, I mean, we're not talking like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. I mean, the exorcist you know, as a franchise has definitely
1: struggled in the past at the box office. So yeah, on Friday, the 13th in October.
0: And now for the nerds review of Barbie. Mild spoilers ahead.
2: And now our feature presentation.
0: It is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. <laughs> dance, you guys ever think about dying? <laughs> When my heart breaks. Some things have been happening that might be related. When my world cold shower Ooh. falling off my roof. Ah! And my heels are on the ground.
2: <gasps> Barbie suffers a crisis that leads her to question her world and her existence.
1: Barbie's directed by Greta Gerwig and stars Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling. So I went ahead and did Barbenheimer uh, this week, seeing both films back to back, as I can't help but be suckered in you know, by a good meme. Uh, Mattel's Barbie film definitely lives up to its A Surprising Time tagline, giving a bright and colorful experience likened to the Technicolor musicals of the 40s, while delivering a story reflecting on the struggles of womanhood in modern society. Stereotypical Barbie, as played by Margot Robbie, is faced with the harsh realities of the real world when somehow a rift between Barbie Land and our world opens due to her toy's owner in the real world having some pretty negative thoughts. Her and her Ken, as played by Ryan Gosling, make their way to our world and have a very different experience, as Ken realizes men aren't the supporting characters they are in Barbie-land, and Barbie discovers women might not have it as good as she thought they would, especially due to her own existence, as for some reason all the Barbies believe they have solved all issues for women in our world. Performance-wise, Gosling and Robbie are incredible in this film, as they tend to be in all films that they're in. suck you into their journeys of discovery. Um, I'm Just Ken has been playing in my head since leaving the theater as it, it's a banger of a fucking track. Somehow Ryan Gosling really just feels like an underrated actor, even though he's great in everything he does and does get praise, I just don't hear enough about Gosling. And there were many moments in this film where he clearly stole the show, even coming off funnier than a lot of the comedians that they had hired on for this film as well. But anyway, while I enjoyed all the events that really went down during the Barbie land segments of the film, which was like before and after their trip to the real world, I was kind of left a little bit disappointed by how little time Barbie spent in our reality. While I didn't need a whole film of Barbie getting slapped by our harsh reality, um, it was a very short portion of the film that I feel could have strengthened the overall message and ideas if they had spent a little bit more time on that section, which could have also fleshed out the relationship and struggles that America Ferrera's character Gloria deals with in our society. But instead, a lot of the time that was spent in the real world was still made to feel more of that wacky style that we got from Barbie Land, you know, in its tone. And with the entire Mattel sequence, you know, kind of playing for laughs as Will Ferrell as the CEO attempts to capture the escaped Barbie, which didn't do much for me. Um, it's just this wild chase sequence that really felt like it was out of a early 2000s you know kids movie you know once they actually got back to barbie land it felt like everything fired on all cylinders and all of that was pretty solid but everything during the second act in our reality just felt you know very underwhelming for me production wise they did a great job of capturing the look of the barbie dream houses and overall the cinematography like I said up top, reminded me a lot of those 1940s, you know, Technicolor musicals. A lot of this film feels like it was structured kind of like a musical, but I can't really say that you could classify this as one as there really is only one major music piece in this film. I do believe that every actor in this, you know, delivered on their roles and the film overall kept me entertained from start to finish. And I actually learned a bunch about Barbie watching this. I mean, the attention to details and knowledge um, that they dropped from different Barbies and Ken's to their limited edition outfits you could really see that there was a lot of love that they put into this picture the only thing holding it back for me really is just that second act as i feel like spending a little bit more time with gloria and spending a little bit more time with barbie meeting gloria and her daughter and stuff like that and facing a little bit more of the patriarchy in a not so nonsensical way could have really Drove home what they were doing here, but that might just be me. Uh, This is still a more lighthearted, fun film I just don't think that the second act worked for me Uh, So for my great I will be giving Barbie a B minus and I definitely recommend seeing this in the theaters while you still can I think it is worth at least seeing it on a big screen
0: And now for the nerds review of Oppenheimer mild spoilers ahead
1: Build a town build it fast we don't let scientists bring their families, we'll never get the best.
2: Why would we go to the middle of nowhere for who knows how long? Why? Why? How about because this is the most important thing to ever happen in the history of the world? You're the great improviser, but this, you can't do in your head. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Chances are near zero. Near zero. What do you want from theory alone? Zero. Would be nice. The story of American scientist J. Robert Oppenheimer and his role in the development of the atomic bomb. Oppenheimer
1: is directed by Christopher Nolan and stars Cillian Murphy and Emily Blunt. Oppenheimer takes a look into the problematic life of J. Robert Oppenheimer as he leads the Manhattan Project to successfully creating the atom bomb. The film is chock full of talent, all here to work with Nolan on this period piece as it felt like even the smallest of roles was filled with an A-class actor. But it really all comes down to two performances for me as we get this non-linear story showing the events leading up to the creation of the bomb, and what followed. Killian Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. kill it in this film, as their rivalry is palpable. Amongst the creation of the most devastating weapon to mankind, there's the pettiness and arrogance of Oppenheimer and Strauss, as played by Killian and Robert Downey Jr. respectively, that drives the story along and makes the two timelines exciting to watch over its three-hour runtime. Sure, there are a couple spots here and there where the film kind of lulls down and slows down, and you start to feel the runtime, but it's all really to build towards its two explosive endings. These two are of course propped up by an incredible supporting cast from Florence Pugh to Alden Ehrenreich. I felt like no matter how brief the scene, each one had a significant line or moment I mean, honestly, I find it rare to have this many memorable moments in a film, but looking across the cast, each one really got to stamp their performance in a meaningful way. My favorite scene definitely has to be when Oppenheimer actually meets Truman, um, as played by Gary Oldman, who I didn't even realize was playing Truman at the time. That guy is a fucking chameleon. Um, Anyway, I feel like my main complaint really would be the runtime, but that just could be my ADHD talking as I don't know what I would necessarily cut or change about this film, unlike how I just talked about with the entire second act of Barbie. Visually, of course, um, the film is on par with your usual Nolan affair. Everything was practical, so there was no need to worry about CGI effects. Killian Murphy was still able to pull off the younger look and makeup, so showing Oppenheimer young and old wasn't off-putting at all. I feel like that was the same for most actors if they had any type of time difference. So no worries there. You know, from the trailers, I would say I felt like this film was going to bore me, uh, which I'm happy to say it didn't. And even after seeing it right after seeing, you know, Barbie in this, you know, bright, you know, beautiful film, Oppenheimer was still able to blow me away with its incredible performances and its storyline. So with that said, I'll be giving Oppenheimer an A minus.
0: And now for the nerds breakdown of episode six of Marvel's Secret Invasion. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. Ooh.
1: All our pills. That's a shame, it? Eh? No more protection for you. How about a drink instead?
0: I wouldn't say no. Yeah. There you go.
1: To the last stand of the great Nick Fury. The grand finale kicks off with Priscilla getting a call from Fury, which felt like the, a you know final goodbye between the two of them at the time. As Priscilla asks, you know, if he'll actually be coming back, and Fury didn't really have a real answer for her in this scene. So I will say, like one of the highlights of this
2: series, um, and there aren't many, um, but for me at least, has been Priscilla, you know, and her character and this mm. you know aspect of Nick Fury that we didn't know anything about um prior uh i'm hoping that it's something that they can kind of explore you know somewhere else far away from this show <laughs> <laughs>
1: We then cut to a decoy car approaching the scroll base as Fury takes out the guards and enters the grounds. Upon doing so, Fury sees the dead bodies of the scrolls' graphic killed last episode, nearly bringing Fury to throw up. Fury, as he heads in deeper, begins taking iodide pills to deal with the radiation from the reactor. Now, he, he's throwing up because of the radiation, not because of the sight of dead bodies, because I'm sure
2: Fury's seen plenty of dead bodies in the past. So, um, sure. how long did it take you to figure out that this wasn't Fury?
1: Um, I think we were in mid-conversation with Gravik, and I was starting to think, this is probably going to be Gaia. Uh, See, I think just, like, how
2: much they were milking him being sick, uh-huh. like, really, like, clued me in on it. I don't know, it just, something about it felt really heavy-handed. <laughs> so, uh um, you know, I, I kind of started putting two and two together. I was like, okay, this probably isn't Fury, like you know, or he's not sick at all and he's trying to like lower graphics card for some reason. But you know, it's a show about scrolls, so I was like, this is
1: this is probably Gaia. Back in London, Rhodes is pushing the president to move forward with a strike on Russian soil, while other military officials don't seem too keen on you know starting World War III. But Rhodes continues to gaslight as hard as he can, though while Rhodes is on watch, he gets an urgent call from Sonya claiming Fury is heading straight for the president. Well talk about being heavy-handed. You would think
2: it you know at some point with Rhodes, like, you know, insisting over and over again that the president starts World War III, that someone in the room would be like, let's calm down a little, Rhodes, because yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> you got an itchy trigger figure, it feels like. Uh, I was kind of taken aback that there wasn't more of a, like, back and forth conversation happening, because it just felt like Rhodes ranting and raving.
1: Yeah, like, I, I would assume that there would be enough other people to, like, yell and talk over because i mean at a certain point he's just telling the president you have to do this well and you would think like the president would speak up while all the other advisors just stand there right and like he even calls one (laughs) of them
2: stupid or something like yes i was like what is happening this whole episode felt so incredibly rushed um which you know seems to be a huge issue with a lot of the finales of these mcu shows Mm. um but like this one more so than others like you know because i mean the series has been pretty much a slow burn story like for the last five episodes and then like you know this you know episode starts and it's just fucking balls to the wall like yeah go time yeah
1: (laughs) as Gravik and Fury come face to face it's clear the effects of the radiation are getting worse as you know Fury drops his iodide pills Gravik relishing in you know seeing his enemy in a weakened state questions why he hasn't brought in the Avengers before you know wondering if Fury even recognizes the face he's disguised himself as claiming it was the first person Fury sent him to kill graphic explains you know his hatred for fury as while he was trying to impress him over the years the missions took a piece of his soul with every kill he was ordered to do first of all this moment made graphic
2: look like a complete idiot the fact that he didn't even question fury showing up like without any kind of like hazmat suit on (laughs) like Like, that should be your first, like, indicator that this probably isn't Fury, mm-hmm. um, you know, or something, Sarai. Uh, but he doesn't question that at all. Uh, you know, oh, well, he's got his little bottle of pills. We're like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we know Fury has resources, so I'm uh-huh. sure he can find himself a fucking suit before, you know, he meets up with Gravik. Um, now, with that being said, I did like Gravik's explanation for the human form that he chose. But it's kind of a case of like, show me, don't tell me. Yes. Um, this is like every like mustache twirling villain speech that we've gotten in, in the past. Something you would hope that the MCU would be above doing. But here we are. Um, apparently they aren't. Uh, you know, that my issue with, you know, one of my one of my issues with this series is just how one dimensional graphic has felt. And like from the first episode, I, you know, I think we talked about it's like, oh, well, they're going to show us some kind of flashback scene, which kind of explains graphics motives and what is, you know, pushed him, you know, towards this resolution of, you know, destroying the race. But we've we've got none of that. You know, and here he almost sounds remorseful for having to murder so many people. Um, I just, I
1: don't know, man. It's it's like too little too late and not enough, honestly. Hmm. Well, like for me, I, I thought he started off, you know, looking and sounding like this grand mastermind, you know, when we first met him in the first few episodes and that he was going to be, you know, a, a good match for Fury. But by the end here, it, it I mean, it just sounds... Like he's, you know, crying about what he's been doing and all everything. You know, it, it, it took away a lot of the mystique, at least for me, for this character. And I thought there would be a little bit, I don't know, I thought there'd be at least another level to him here other than just, you know, Fury made me kill someone and that's why I, you know, hate my life here and hate all of humanity. Because this ending version of the character just doesn't feel like it fits with that same guy that was in the room, that meeting, you know, commanding all the former leaders of, you know, the, the scrolls here. It doesn't feel like it's the same person almost. No, I can agree with that. I,
2: I I think they're trying to add layers, you know, with the story and everything, which I'm fine with, but it's, once again, it's too little too late. And show Mm -hmm. me, don't have it be part of this, you know, prototypical, like, third act speech that we've seen every other villain make. Because I'm fine with his, like, part of his motives being that he's been manipulated and used and abused by Fury. But you just telling me this, you know, in the the finale of the series, like, it just feels so, like, shoehorned in and rushed. And mm-hmm. it absolutely doesn't carry the same weight, you know, compared to, like, us actually getting, like, a string of, like, scenes you know, watching that play out.
1: Gravik continues to tell Fury of all the impending destruction that is to come, and how it will be his fault for not, you know, keeping his word and finding the scrolls a home. But Fury replies, claiming he knows he's failed the scrolls and Gravik. Fury laments that, you know, after a few years of searching, he knew Earth would be the only possible option for the scrolls. But when Gravik presses on why it never actually happened, Fury explains it was easier for him to just get lost in saving billions of lives than it was to try and change their hearts and minds.
2: I think for me, like, this confession obviously didn't mean anything, because at this point I pretty much figured out that (laughs) this wasn't Fury talking. (laughs) So obviously this is just Gaia. And it just felt like, oops, my bad. Like, it didn't... (laughs) You're not trying to, like, offer him any kind of resolution whatsoever. Like, you know, give me another chance. I can make it right. Like... I mean, she's just trying to distract him at this point. I get it, but Well I was more
1: wondering if, like, she actually got access to Fury's mind because that would be interesting. You know, now we have someone. Well, as we'll see later on, you know, a super scroll uh, with all of Nick Fury's, you know, memories and you know history. Well, he would have to be loaded into that machine, though, for that to happen. Oh, Okay, so that
2: so they have to be they remaining. Have to. That's okay. why they. Keep all the people Mm. that they're um, replacing alive if they're impersonating them, um, you know, because they have access to all their memories and everything like that. At least that's what I got from it.
1: Fury then recalls his final moments before being dusted in the blip, saying that he had a sensation of relief because he had finally found a way out of all this, you know, this never ending war to save humanity. Fury says, you know, he came back to Earth because he knew he failed Gravik. He felt responsible for Gravik being the youngest member of his former team. Fury then offers up the harvest in return for Gravik leaving Earth and conquering another planet, though Gravik is quick to say that. Fury is just being naive. Although you do have to wonder, like, was this a conversation that guy had with Fury at some
2: point? Cause the, the blip stuff is pretty fucking heavy. Like, yeah, it's very personal, right? (laughs) But you know, once again, like everything that the show's shown us so far is, and even like in the comic books, I don't believe that the scrolls pick up, you know, uh, whoever they're impersonating's like memories, like to that extent, at least, um, you know, without, you know, being hooked up to this, you know, machine. So it is a little odd, right? <laughs> but maybe she's just ad I don't know.
1: Gravik then begins adding the Avengers DNA to the super scroll machine as Fury begins to fall to the radiation poisoning. Starting up the machine while both Fury and him stand inside of it, Gravik makes a fatal flaw as it wasn't actually Fury in there with him the entire time as Gaia reveals herself to be disguised as Fury and now just as powered up as him because they both were standing within the machine. While all that was going on, the real Fury and Sonya were taking out all of the president's secret service as they cornered a panicked room. Rhodes and the President. While the US Army begins to prepare the strike on Russia, Sonya takes Rhodes hostage. The President, wielding a gun, is then approached by Fury, who tries to explain that Rhodes is not only a traitor, but a scroll. Again, instead of actually just proving their point and shooting Rhodes to expose the scroll underneath, Fury tries to get the President to believe him, explaining the real Rhodes and several others who have been replaced in the real world are under the scroll base. But then Rhodes breaks free of Sonya's grasp, and Fury is forced to gun Rhodes down in front of a frazzled president, showing that he was a scroll all along. Now I don't know if this is a thing in the comics,
2: I, I don't recall, but like this series has showed us over and over again that the scrolls bleed purple. So would it make sense for them just to do like some sort of like blood test or something? Like go like the thing with it, right?
1: <laughs> exactly. I mean, just a little cut on his hand right? and it's it's over. Yes.
2: so like in like that's their way around like, you know, all these scrolls infiltrating the government, like make everyone do like blood tests almost every day. Like you you show up, you gotta do a fucking pinprick, right?
0: <laughs> to, like, exactly. <laughs>
2: Uh, you know, because I don't believe that's a thing in the comics. Um, so, I mean, cause, but the show is like definitely established that like whenever these scrolls get hurt, they're bleeding purple. Mm-hmm. You know, wh- whether or not they're in human form or not.
1: So, um, yeah, it feels like a pretty like easy fix, you know, at the end of the day. It was driving me nuts because after they established that the moment you like injure them to a certain degree, they start to shapeshift well, with Talos getting hurt, you know, pretty bad. Um, why don't they do that to every person that they think is a scroll? You know, like if it's just a shot in the leg, you know, all it takes to make, you know, roads start to transform, why not do it, Sonya? Yeah. Why not just shoot him well, in the leg before he even gets to the president? once
2: again, you just do what uh, McReady does in fucking the thing. It's just like, okay, we'll prick your finger. yeah. Lead into this dish. prove that you're not a stroll.
1: That's it. <laughs> That's an even yes. easier way of doing it. I don't know. Ugh. Meanwhile, Gaia and Gravik begin their super fight as the two switch and transform their limbs and powers between all of the Avengers and some of Thanos' men. Extremis being the main thing healing them as they take big blow after big blow, but it would be Gaia who would get the upper hand after using Mantis' ability to put people to sleep, and then Carol Danvers' light beam abilities ultimately blowing a hole through Gravik too big for even Extremis to heal. Now today I keep on seeing like article after article
2: Talking about how Gaia is now the strongest hero in the MCU. And my thing is like, yeah, she has all this power, but she doesn't have any of the skills to use the power. So I don't know. Like, and I'm calling bullshit on this fucking scene. The fact that she somehow just knows how to tap into like Mantis's, like, you know, sleep power or whatever, like, <laughs> trance power. Like, did she read up on each of these heroes, like, on the way to the facility or something? Because how would she even... Theory had a dossier for her. Yeah, how would she even know Mantis's power? Like, I don't know. As
1: far as I'm aware, it's not super public knowledge. You know, especially, like, the Guardians. Shouldn't yes. be well known for any no. of them. No, no, because she used... But she immediately pumped up Drax's arm and then, like, went into Mantis <laughs> later what on. as was one...
2: Like... I-, I couldn't figure out like she makes her arm into like a sword i was like is she like t1000 also like was that dna there
1: did i miss that part of that know. game like who because it looked like an ice blade and i was like is that's is that an x-men reference like what are we doing yeah, i was here? like
2: whose power is that mm-hmm. um i wasn't too impressed with the super scroll of it all like the cgi i thought was fine but like the powers that they chose to like tap into i thought was pretty underwhelming and what I found funny about this, I'm not the only person to point this out, but this like this was everything that like the She-Hulk finale was making fun of. Like parody. <laughs> Two giant CGI characters, yeah. you know, battling it out. Like that's pretty much what we got here at the end. Um, you know, which hey, listen. Like tropes are tropes for a reason. Like I <laughs> I love myself a good, like, you know, final fight, but It's just this episode just felt so rushed that it literally felt like everything She-Hulk was spoofing, you know, with their own finale.
1: After the fight, Gaia makes her way down into the base where all the humans are being kept and begins freeing several that we've met over the show, including Agent Ross and an injured Rhodes, who Ross claims he's been here for a long time. All right, now, first of all, like, why does Ross even know that? Like, what?
2: (laughs) Is it because he's wearing the hospital gong? Is it because he's wearing the hospital gown? And like he's having difficulty walking on his own? Maybe. I always assumed that Rhodes had some kind of like braces on his leg. Because we see that like in Endgame. Like he's still rocking the braces. So I just kind of assumed he had some kind of like streamlined version of that underneath his suit. But I mean, they put that line here for a reason. So obviously they're trying to key us in on the fact that you know, Rhodes has been a scroll for a very long time, um, and the fact that he's wearing a hospital gown makes it feel like he's probably been a scroll since the end of Civil War. Um, yeah, which is just ludicrous. Like, <laughs> I mean, they better have a damn good story to justify that choice because it really does ruin like a lot of like big moments that Rhodes had over the last, you know, how many films Mm. and series. Um, Because that means he wasn't there, you know, for Tony's death. (laughs) Um, He wasn't there at his funeral. Uh, You know, that moment between him and Sam and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, I don't know, man, it's a ballsy choice. Like, Rhodes wouldn't even know about the blip. Like, he'd have no No. clue, like, exactly what went down over the last how many years? Um, and they're, they're ahead of us time-wise, so it's, it's been quite a few years that, you know, Rhodes has been out of commission, because I believe in, like, the MCU right now it's like, 2025 or something like that, because they have that four-year, uh, time jump
0: that hmm. takes place
2: in, in between, uh, Infinity War and, uh, Endgame. So, man, I don't know. Like, there's probably a really good story that they could tell there,
1: right? And I'm guessing that's what Armor Wars is going to be all about now. Yeah. I mean, it would have to, Uh, I mean, that'd be pretty funny. It's like, Hey, I'm back to normal. It's fine. Like after. (laughs) I mean, there's so many plot holes in this show
2: that I honestly wouldn't be surprised and I I wish we would have gotten answers to like how long Ross has actually been like held captive. Like, was
1: he Ross, like, was he himself during uh, Wakanda forever? Or was that a scroll? Yeah, because they don't address that. And I'm, I'm assuming, like, they're going to probably just say he was after Wakanda forever. But I don't know. I mean. And I'm not going to lie.
2: I was kind of hoping, like, Sharon Carter was amongst these people that they, like, recovered. <laughs> so we could just. You were hoping they wrecked Yes. Right? Well, I, think, I mean, honestly, it might have been something they planned the entire time. Right? Because mm-hmm. um, obviously they. Well, I would hope that they had this whole, like, roadie thing mapped out. Um but who knows. But that way it would make sense why she felt so like out of character, you know, in the Falcon series.
1: The fight may be over for Gravic, but the world's discovery of Scrolls seems to have only made things worse, as the president's address to the public on the matter is that all alien species are now to be considered enemy combatants of the US, if his bill is to be passed.
2: Yeah, like doesn't he say something like we'll hunt you down and kill you? Like uh um... Like this definitely took a hard left turn
1: uh, because this would do nothing but like antagonize them like the scrolls like why would you even put this out there? Well exactly and it just felt like you know the character had been pretty passive up to this point like if this is how he was going to act I would assume Rhodes telling him, yeah, the Russians did this. This is where all the suffers. Drop a bomb and he would have been like, yeah, go ahead, yeah, right? That's just the kind of character he felt like at that point. Yeah, this definitely felt odd. Like did Fury tell him that
2: there's a million scrolls on the planet too? I guess so. Cuz you would yeah. think that he would be a little, I don't know, a little more timid like addressing tr- <laughs>
1: <laughs> This alien
2: race that's inhabiting his planet when there's a million of them.
1: I don't know, this response just felt a little off to me. I still feel like we could have done some type of X-Men Island bullshit for the scrolls on Earth. It's just a million. I feel like we could figure that one out. (laughs) Sure, Christian. Fury does end up returning home to Priscilla, apologizing for not being there for her. But again, Priscilla questions if Fury does love her or the mask that she wears. Fury claims he loves her for her and says that he's going back and she knows where to find him before making a hasty exit. But considering that we see Priscilla later on, um, right before the show ends, uh, I felt like this scene was pointless. I felt like there was no reason for him to show up and have this moment with her.
2: In hindsight, I agree. You could have probably better utilized, you know, this time somewhere else. You know, in like maybe storytelling. I don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it is what it is at this point. I, I was just
1: glad it was almost done with, honestly. <laughs> Meanwhile, the now extremely powerful Gaia gets approached by Sonya to team up with her. Fury makes a call to the president to show his disapproval of how, you know, he's handling the situation with the scrolls as we cut to Sonya and Gaia uncovering a massive storage area of humans in pods. It seems the president's address has inspired hate groups and vigilantes to take to the streets on a witch hunt and take out the scrolls. However, misinformation is also causing humans to be killed as well. Yeah, for a split second when Fury was talking to the president, I thought he was about to have
2: him assassinated. Like, I was like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> that would have been a pretty badass scene. Um, but that wasn't the case. Because, I, I mean, we know by the time Thunderbolt comes around, we're going to have a brand new president sitting in the Oval Office, which is going to be the old Thunderbolt Ross played by Harrison Ford. So I thought we are going to get that like transition happen here. Um, but... Nope, that, that wasn't the case. So apparently the country's gonna be run by a man with, you know, a bloodlust for scroll blood. And Fury's fine with it. He's just like, I'm out. He's got a job to do in space, I sure. guess. But anyway, moving on. I-, I do like the development that, you know, uh Gaia is gonna be working with Sonya for uh MI6. I did really enjoy the Sonya character and I would love to see, you know, more of her. So I'm hoping they actually have like a good story arc planned for both characters and they You know just don't like disappear you know for a decade or so until they decide to bring them back again (laughs) because i could also see that happening all right before we move on i'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month ag1 the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health let me tell you once i turned 40 i started to fall apart so I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great
1: and that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I've found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking H1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no
2: longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients.
1: AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day. AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's
2: delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 Travel Packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If
1: you wanna take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 Travel Packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash once again, to get a free one-year
2: supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com nerdshow and check it out.
1: And now back to our breakdown. Fury then approaches the landing site for his ship as he plans on returning to Saber, but before getting onto it, Priscilla arrives. She wishes to now be called by her real name Vara, as Fury tells her he may have been actually able to begin peace talks between the Scrolls and the Kree, and asks her to be an emissary for the Scrolls to help negotiate peace. Vara agrees to come along, but claims that she wants to be able to still come back to Earth as she needs to help her fellow scrolls who are now in danger here. All while saying this, she turns back into her scroll form in front of Fury as the two share a kiss, proving that Fury did love her for her, and the two go off into the night sky as our show comes to an end. So this would have been a nice little moment,
2: but the entire time I just kept on thinking, he's literally abandoning the scrolls again. Like, and I know he has the line about, oh, we possibly have a meeting set up with the Cree, you know, for peace talks, uh-huh. <laughs> which I'm guessing is alluding to the fact that, you know, maybe they'd be willing to share the planet with the scrolls, but I mean, that's a big maybe, right? <laughs> and like, why would he trust the Cree? Um, you know, meanwhile, Scrolls are literally being gunned down in the streets. On Earth. Yes. Um, scrolls and humans being mistaken as scrolls, and he's just, you know, leaving it up to I guess Sonya and Gaia to clean things up. Um I don't know, man, this the whole series just paints Fury <laughs> in such a
1: bad light. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking. Um I mean, if it had been a hit, I feel like they probably would have done a spin-off with Gaia and Sonya. Maybe. Doing all like missions God. for scrolls.
2: But there's no way that you could tell me that they sat back and thought that this series would be a positive for the Nick Fury character. Like, I mean, I don't mind my heroes being complicated, but this makes Fury just feel like a straight villain. You know, and I mean, the character in the comics definitely has his shades of gray, but this is a whole lot of gray, man. Like, (laughs) he's just walking away again. Like, he put, you know, the Earth at risk for World War III, you know, because all of a sudden he had an ego and he wanted to do everything, you know, by himself. (laughs) But then on top of everything, he's running away again. You know, which is kind of why this whole mess happened in the first place. I mean, he's leaving the planet a fucking dumpster fire. A dumpster fire that he started, by the way. And he's not sticking around trying to help like clean it up like it'd be one thing if we got a scene with him working with sonya and gaia or maybe like putting them together to help kind of like deal with the situation um and like come up with a strategy to help these scrolls out but he's just you know going back up to space You know, I I just I don't know, man, like and I'm sure like him talking about the possible peace talks was their way of like justifying it all. But I don't know, like it just it just didn't work for me.
1: Now, I know this is a a big nitpick, but her name was Vara the whole time. That's that's not that crazy for an alien (laughs) name. That could have been (laughs) just her name. She didn't need to change it to Priscilla. Well,
2: too, and the fact that like he didn't like, bother calling her by her real name. And I don't... Here's (laughs) my thing, okay? I don't understand the timeline at all of all this taking place. So, Gravik was part of the team that was collecting all the blood samples from the heroes at the end of Endgame, right? Mm -hmm. Or after the events of Endgame. So, he was working for Fury at that point. Right? But prior to that during the events or after the events of Civil War he had someone replace Rhodey at the end of Civil War at least that's what what we've been led to believe and even before that he had Vara marry Fury I guess as a way to stay close to him
1: I just I don't feel like Gravik was in control of a lot of those earlier decisions I feel like later on he be like this is me like this isn't explained by the show yeah, this but is my the way my head yeah <laughs> wraps around it is that you know graphics started turning you know after the events of Endgame but like there were other scrolls and the scroll council might have been doing things their own way you know after Underneath they you know, got talos rid of talos knows then
2: because yeah. talos was in charge of the council at that point or at least on the exactly. council so, that's the only way this would make any sense, because, like, why wouldn't Gravik then take the harvest for himself? Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> because he's there collecting the blood samples, and then that way he wouldn't even have to go through all of this scheme. You know, he could just super scroll out and, you know, take over the Earth with an army of super scrolls. So, <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, it, it... I mean, headcanon-wise, that makes sense, but, like... I needed at least a line or two of yeah. dialogue to kind of explain all of that. Uh, but the biggest, Would've I think nice. the biggest crime that this episode really committed was the fact that they didn't even have Fury make mention of Maria Hill or Talos, right? Like, Talos, I, maybe there's yes. a brief Talos mention, but at least give me a moment of him, like, you know, reflecting on, like, the two, like, close people that he lost in his life here
1: yes because
2: like otherwise he's just like alright see you later I'm going off in space it just feels like such a
1: fucking waste of two characters especially Talos just because of all the great moments we got with him until his death yeah. you know like they had such great bonding scenes and then he's barely mentioned after well, in, that. in the comics Maria Hill is a great character
2: and they they've never mm-hmm. done her justice really on the screen but at least that opportunity was always there right But now you just killed her, and it really meant nothing when it came to this series. It just never really felt like a motivating factor for Fury whatsoever. Um, you know, that goes for Talos' death, too. Like, he just kind of, like, shrugged his shoulders and moved on. So, I mean, we had the one moment with uh, her mother and, you know, the one moment between Fury and Gaia talking about Talos. But that was it. Um, (sighs) I don't know, man, like, if those losses, like, fueled him, you know, like, throughout, you know, this series, then fine, so be it, I guess. But they just felt like they led to nothing. It was just almost like, you know, shock value for the sake of shock value. Time for overall grades for the entire, you know, season or series, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to go long here because I pretty much let my feelings be known. ...throughout breaking down each one of these episodes. (laughs) But, I mean, to say Secret Invasion was a disappointment would be an understatement. And, like, it just felt like such a complete waste of a really, like, intriguing premise. And listen, even though, like, I never thought for a second... ...they would get near the scope of the original, like, comic book event... ...I thought they could at least, like, capture that air of paranoia... Um, That was really the hook for that original series. Um, Like the whole, like, who do you trust? Um, But they never came close to reaching its potential here. Um, I mean, at every turn, the show took interesting concepts and somehow managed to make them dull. Um, You know, maybe it was stunted by its own limitations and perhaps just lack of vision by the show's creators um, at the end of the day, but I have to, like, really ponder, like, why did this show even exist? Like, other than, like, senselessly murdering two, you know, awesome characters in Maria Hill and Talos, and then taking, like, the founder of the Avengers and completely, like, demystifying him. Um, you know, to the point of making him look like a neglectful, bumbling fool. Like, it really felt like character assassination at times. At the end, he just abandons everyone that he's supposed to be protecting all over again. Just leaving this huge mess to be cleaned up by others. Uh, like, scrolls are being hunted and murdered in the streets. I mean, if I was a scroll, I hate his ass, too. <laughs> uh, yes, like, don't get me wrong. There were some good moments here and there throughout the series, but it's mostly just extremely talented, like, actors, you know, literally making chicken salad out of chicken shit. Like, what it comes down to is this show is, is nothing but a wasted opportunity. The concept deserved better than this. The concept in the story deserves so much better than this. And I wasn't even a huge fan of the original comic book event. It also had a really flat landing, but at least it kept me like captivated for a while. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and give this series a D minus. Uh, this is the bottom of the barrel when it comes to the MCU series so far. Like, Kevin Foggy must be asleep at the wheel because I just I
1: just don't get what happened here. I mean, for me, I feel like it, I was really expecting something maybe more on the lines of, like, an Andor series or maybe something that's just kind of like, I don't know, like a, a Cold War type yes. of film, you know, on screen where we're getting you know, more of an intrigue and mystery behind who are all the scrolls on Earth and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, a spy that. thriller. But, yeah, a spy thriller, yes. And, and we didn't get that in the end i was just expecting a spy thriller with more action sequences um and you know at first i, I had a lot more hope i think than you did you know going throughout the season um you know I, I, the dialogue between all the characters were some of the best moments um in this show and were some of the best dialogue scenes in the mcu uh, you know give or take you know like wandavision and stuff like that you know we, getting these interactions between these great actors was great but then it, you know it never really connected to the overall story, and that's when it really began to fall apart. I tried to I tried to stay in there. I tried to you know <laughs> hang until the end, uh, but episode five, I really started to realize, okay, this is this isn't going to be as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, I I don't know if it needed more episodes. Um, I I feel like it just needed a lot more in general. Uh, you know, because we wanted more backstory. I wanted more um, development for all the characters. Um, you know i felt like gaia didn't get enough moments you know before her grand revenge by the end of the season um graphic started off really cool in my eyes and then as i said you know and during the breakdown you know it just kind of felt like he lost his mystique you know he didn't have that it's fine for your characters to lose control here and like you know lose themselves to emotion but here he just started to feel more like a child like he just couldn't you know get over you know what happened with fury and so that's that's why all of humanity must die i just feel like there should be a little bit more to that type of element when it comes to you know mass extinction yeah. but that's that might just be me. more substance uh, yeah i agree more substance <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then to you know shrivel everything down to just this being a personal matter for fury made no sense um This is a series that even if it wanted to be this, like the start of something or at least have a connection to other Marvel projects, I would understand. Like, even if it ended the same way, the fact that it like doesn't go into anything where, um, I don't I don't feel like they're going to address this in other heroes and shows and projects. You know, I don't feel like, you know, we're going to see Spider-Man now trying to save scrolls to right. the streets. We're not going to see other characters, you know, dealing with this aspect. Miss Marvel is not going to be saving, you know, someone that's going to be accidentally accused of being an alien. Mm. Uh, I, I just, I, like, if there was a little bit more cohesion and a little bit more, like, I, I see a path where this could, like, become a bigger story yeah. and affect the overall yeah, MCU. Yeah, this was a prologue, right? I think that would right? be
2: cool. Like, to yes. a bigger event, mm-hmm. that would make sense. Um, and that's kind of where I, I thought they were going, you know, with this story. Because, like, you know, reading the comic book, like, I knew that there was no way that they were going to, like, come close to to the major scope that you know that mm-hmm. book, you know, did where they're literally, you know, touching every corner of the universe and, you know, showing this grand invasion by the scrolls and, you know, where there's multiple heroes that have been replaced. Like, you know, obviously from the trailers right off the bat, we could tell this is more of a grounded Absolutely. story that they're trying to tell. That's mm-hmm. fine. But like if you're gonna sit there and try to tell me that the invasion's already started. You know, and these scrolls have been amongst us, and there's a million of them. And, like, not only that, they're plotting World War III. (laughs) (laughs) Like, they've infiltrated the Oval Office, you know, and other, like, you know, uh, high ranks in uh, other countries' governments. Like, right then, that becomes an Avenger-level event. So, like, your whole premise is flawed because the Avengers in the series were never going to show up. You know, so like, you've already bitten off more than you can chew. Like, if you're yes. trying to tell more of a grounded story where it's about like Fury trying to stop this infiltration from even like starting, then fine. But you're showing me basically, you know, the third act. Like, the scrolls already amongst us. They've already taken over almost. Um, And Fury wants to fucking solve this with his trench coat and a handgun. Like, (laughs) you know, after years of using and abusing, you know, everyone around him, you know, manipulating Mm. other people, uh, you know, lying to an entire race of alien beings. uh, Come on. Like, it's just too much. You know, Um, it's too much of a leap of logic. Like, it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) like this man has made a living out of using other people like he put together a team of heroes you know to handle problems like this and then to think that oh well I've got to handle this on my own you know I mean if you know what we said before with uh, the last episode when they introduced the idea of the harvest if that was one of the reasons why he wasn't calling the Avengers then I might have given them a pass you know like oh I can't let the Avengers know that I betrayed them on this level you know then okay I could kind of see it it's a a bit of a stretch Mm -hmm. but at least there's some like rationality behind what he's doing you know why he's not you know calling upon Earth's greatest heroes but otherwise like, no, I, I, you know, I made this mess. I got to clean it up on my own. I was like, no, you don't, Fury. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to cost us millions of lives.
1: <laughs> just, I don't know. The consequences are just not there. Like, at least one of the heroes should have learned about this. I mean, I'm sure Rhodes will be able to carry this on and maybe spread the word You know, once he's learned what's, you know, happened here. Well, but
2: here's the fact, too, uh, like fury should be ordering blood tests for all the avengers like how does he yes. know that there hasn't been multiple avengers replaced by scrolls so i mean god what are we what are we doing
1: <laughs> hawkeye's been a scroll this right? whole time like because <laughs> it doesn't have to be any of the superpowered characters it could be just the human level maybe ones. kevin foggy's a scroll maybe that's the problem <laughs> Kevin Bot needs an upgrade. I, I understand. Uh, um, I'll, for my my overall grade, though, I'm going to give it a C minus. I mean, I kind of hope that like the Marvels ties up at least a few
2: of these like loose ends, but then like. Part of me just kind of wants this to all go away and just pretend that this was just some like fever dream that Fury's having
1: while he's floating out in space. He just wakes up on Saber and none of that actually happened. That would be awful. I'll take it, dude. Over this, I'll take it. Oh, my God. Um, Do you think by any chance that they might be creating a UK Avengers team uh, with Sonya uh, enlisting Gaia here?
2: Uh, I could see them doing like an MI6 series, maybe, you know, um, although with this series not being a success, I doubt that will happen now. Uh, You could even do like an Excalibur type team. I mean, that's typically a mutant superhero team led by Captain Burden. But I mean, there's potential there that, you know, once the mutants do show up in the MCU, that that's something that. But there is potential there, like, you know, once the mutants do show up in the MCU proper, that Sonya, you know, puts together a team like that
1: with uh, Gaia included. I thought a fun uh, workaround for Rogue getting superpowers would be for her to absorb them from um, Gaia instead of uh, Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel, I should say.
2: Yeah, I mean, that could work, like, where she just like slightly touches her and just absorbs Captain Marvel's nah. powers. Yeah, or she could just absorb Captain Marvel's powers, right? She's still a character out there. Yeah,
1: it's <laughs> no need for a middle man. Let's just go straight to the source. Well, here's my thing about Gaia. At this point, I feel like writing-wise, it's it's just going to be frustrating. Like, because you're just going to come up with like a million different things that she will be capable of. I feel like it'll be better off, and I I don't want to lose Amelia Clark, but I feel like it'd be better off killing the character in, Whoa, in the near future. They could just depower
2: her though. They could say that this cocktail of DNA, like,
1: was unstable unstable, or she doesn't
2: have all the abilities at full power, right? And then that way you downgrade her a little. So she's not this, like, Uh godlike being. Because that's pretty much the level, like, she would be at right now. Mm -hmm. Like, having well, literally, she has Thor's DNA, so she would be a god. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of different ways to to depower her, right? Like, the effects of the machine only last, and after a a certain amount of time, she only has limited powers. I mean, that's like comic book 101 type shit, so, um, I'm sure, like, Kevin Feige wants to keep Amelia Clark alive as long as he can, Mm. you know, to be part of his franchise. But anyway, that's how we felt about the series. Let us know how you feel about this series. I mean, maybe we're being too hard. I don't think so, Uh, but I've definitely been known to be a curmudgeon, so (laughs) it is what it is. Uh, You can go ahead, give us a follow at Amazing Nerd Show
1: across all your favorite social media platforms uh, and tell us why we're wrong or right about the series. And make sure to join us next month for Ahsoka. We'll be breaking down every single episode. And now a quick word from our sponsor, Manscaped.
2: This is a public service announcement. Manscaped now has beer products and is going even further with their brand new Weed Whacker 2.0. Go ahead and tell the world the leaders in below-the-waist grooming are traveling north of your South Pole with their revolutionary grooming products.
1: The new Weed Whacker 2.0 and their new beard line confirms they have all the best tools for your hygiene toolbox. Time for you to upgrade your game by going to manscaped.com and using our code 20 nurcho for 20% off
2: plus free shipping. Listeners know that
1: there's no one I trust more with my
2: nutsack than Manscaped. So why not trust them with my beard also? So allow me to introduce you to the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. It's the ultimate package that makes it easier than ever to craft your signature look. It all starts with the cordless electric Beard Hedger. The Beard Hedger is tough on hair but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency that brings satisfaction one stroke at a time, just like your mother.
1: (laughs) This waterproof cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard, so no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. The Pro Kit also comes with four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. This includes Manscaped's beard shampoo and conditioner, beard oil, and beard balm to moisturize, style, and shimmer your new beard. Plus, the kit has three gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors. So with a nice beard, your face is perfectly
2: groomed, right? Wrong! You need to keep an eye out for those tough-to-trim ear and nose hairs. The brand new Weed Whacker 2.0 offers improved blades and skin-safe technology with virtually no tugging. It's never been so painless to mind your manhole.
1: Now that you have your face looking great, you must try Manscaped's Performance Package 4.0 for the full body grooming experience. Good news though, the Performance Package 4.0 now comes with the Weed Whacker 2.0 and all the other below the waist grooming products Manscaped is known for. Your significant other will be delighted to see you covering all bases, if you know what I mean. So listeners,
2: get 20% off and free shipping with our code 20NerdShow at Manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure to use our code 20NerdShow.
1: Always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.
0: And now it's time for Christian's Corner.
1: This week in gaming, from Software, the developers behind Elden Ring and Dark Souls sent out preview copies of their returning franchise, Armored Core 6. Um, for those of you unaware, From Software didn't always make Dark Souls-like games. At one point, um, they were known for making these impressive mecha warfare experiences in the Armored Core franchise. It's been about 10 years since the last Armored Core game, and those who got their hands on it seem to be, you know, saying nothing but positive things. Um, as you, the player, you know, will be gliding, flying, and stomping through a mecha anime paradise, IGN claims the game controls were you know easy to pick up, and footage has shown off you know gameplay that gives me a you know, great sense of scale as your mecha sent on tasks to. Take down what seems like skyscraper-sized enemies. Um, additional reports confirm that multiplayer PvP will be a thing, um, with about six-person fights as well. Personally, growing up, I did not give too much attention to mecha video games like these. I think I tried maybe one Gundam game and swore off the entire genre entirely. Uh, but becoming a massive from software fan in my later years, I'm curious what they can do with a game that you know isn't Souls-like. So. I'm keeping a close eye on this project altogether. Armored Core 6, Fire of the Rubicon, is heading to all systems except for Switch, of course, on August 25th. Speaking of Dark Souls, um, there has been a rumor out there, very loose rumor, so take this with a grain of salt, but- it's a rumor that Netflix is developing a Dark Souls anime for the streaming giant. Sources over at Giant Freaking Robot claim the series would focus on the first game's journey of finding the first flame before it dies out. With success from adaptations like Castlevania and more recently Cyberpunk's Edgerunners, I could easily see Netflix having interest in a Dark Souls series, but no word on what studio may be attached for this or even what when it might actually come out if this does come to fruition. As for streaming, I know I keep saying we're going to be going live, and then things come up. So I do apologize, you know, for my recent absence from Twitch. Me and my significant other's schedules have just greatly changed recently, and finding time to game has been difficult. I haven't really touched a game in about two fucking weeks. So you know, I'm pretty much itching to get back to it at this point. I believe I will be able to be live this weekend. So make sure to check out at Nerd Live on Twitter or x or whatever the fuck it's called nowadays as that's where i update all the streaming side of the amazing nerd show but we also of course post things to at amazing nerd show on your favorite social media sites all over so make sure to check us out on social media wherever you like uh, but with that said let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling winging the skateboard up the spine of nick wayne and boom!
2: driving it between the eyes did Dick darby earlier didn't we hear him say you ar
1: fox everything
0: All right,
2: Christian. So now it's time for our AEW weekend review. And I don't know about you, man, but like this week, both shows, Collision and Dynamite, just felt really fillerish. I think that's a fair opinion of the shows. Which, listen, like you know, once in a while, you're gonna have that, right? Um, especially when you're trying to book, you know, two shows, fifty-two weeks, you know, a year. But. Hmm. You've got a lot on the horizon right now. Um, you know, you're coming off of Blood and Guts. And then in less than a month, I think, you've got the UK show and you've got uh, All In, right? Or All Out. I can't even get both of them straight, right? All Out is the, the show. All Out the one here and then All In is the Oh, no, no. no. Is, okay, you know, you're Wembley. right. Yes. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All In, you know, which is the original show that kind of like, you know, started everything is actually the Wembley show and all out is the Chicago show. Got it. Um, but we don't even have any matches announced at this point for either of those shows. Um, and even if this was like a normal pay-per-view situation, like with it being a month or so out or a month or less out, that's, that's pretty odd. Um, and I get it. Like all the tickets are already sold for all in, but come on, man. Like <laughs> you got to give us something, especially like coming like out after an event, like blood and guts, which is to me like a pay-per-view caliber event, something that like was the accumulation mm-hmm. of a major storyline that was going on for months. So you would think that we'd be getting like almost like this resetting of the table, like almost like, you know, uh, a Raw after a pay-per-view, like how it was back in the day, at least. But that just wasn't the case here. Like, Collision, I'm a little more forgiving of because, you know, Blood and Guts didn't take place on Collision, um, and we did get, like, the aftermath of the Ricky Starks heel turn. Uh, which mm-hmm. was a much better Ricky Starks. Um, I thought his promo in the ring with Punk was fantastic. He finally felt like himself again. Um, I don't know what happened, but somewhere during this whole babyface turn, it felt like Ricky kind of lost his groove. Um, so this like whole promo back and forth with like Punk was a breath of fresh air. I was like, okay, we found the character again. Uh, We're back. Uh, So I'm looking forward to see, like, what's in store for Ricky. Uh, You know, they set up a tag match uh, with him teaming with Christian, uh, who apparently still thinks he's the TNT champion. Uh, And Luchasaurus is just kind of hanging out in the background. (laughs) Which, I mean, you know what? I can understand why some people don't like the storyline and maybe— it's not a great look for Luchasaurus, but honestly, like a, a Luchasaurus title run, are you that excited for that? So I I
1: don't know. I feel like this is the best of both worlds, honestly. It makes sense for Christian. Yes. I mean, it, I don't see any problem yeah, with no, that. Yeah, no, I agree. I just thought the uh, segment in general was just clunky because it just felt like everyone out there was a heel except for Darby. Uh, I mean, even CM Punk was like addressing the crowds, you know, fandom of the New Jersey Devils. Um, and calling them failures, essentially. And- <laughs> yes, yes. And I mean,
2: the, he's always going to be Hill in New Jersey just because that's, you know, uh-huh. the, the whole, you know, MJF program and everything like that. So exactly. I was fine with it, but I can understand that where, you know, if you're kind of just tuning into the show, you're like, well, what the fuck's going on here? I did appreciate Punk saying, I'm not going to, you know, come down on you for cheating to win because I've done that in the past. I'm glad that he addressed Mm -hmm. that instead of, you know, being a complete hypocrite because we've seen that a lot of times from, you know, your baby faces. It's like, wait a second. I remember six months ago when you were a heel. (laughs) So, um, you know, I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, him saying that he was actually proud of Ricky and everything like that. Um, but what I don't appreciate is him still thinking he's the world champion for some reason, because even by that logic, he lost to Ricky. So then Ricky should be the world champion.
1: <laughs> I mean, if anything, they could say it was eliminator rules, and now Ricky is deserving of a red bag championship uh, yeah, title. Yeah, whatever match. the fuck
2: that means. I hope Ugh. to God that
1: they don't go that route and there's a
2: collision world title. I hope that's, uh-huh. where not,
1: that's not where we're headed. So, um, I mean, he called w- out MJF during that. He's like, because Max is too afraid to give me a title match, but I don't. Yes. I don't know if I'm they're going to I'm hoping do that, that or not. was
2: the breadcrumbs leading to a match between him and Max mm-hmm. and All Out, you know. You know, that's in Chicago. That seems to make the most sense. So, I'm fine with that. But as for the rest of the show, I thought the tag match uh in the main event was solid. Um, you know, uh I'm glad that Darby was on the show. I don't know. It it made it feel like there was some cohesiveness between dynamite and collision. Like I don't like the fact that collision feels like it's taking place in a different world. Um so I want to see more crossover. Like I, you know, I hate the idea of a brand split. So like it's fine if you have some talent that are usually featured on collision or vice versa, but they should be able to cross over. Like there shouldn't actually be like a forbidden door in your own company mm-hmm. that makes no sense whatsoever. So we've seen WWE try it and it just fails miserably all the time. So um and it just why handicap yourself, you know? It, I don't get it. So um but you no, know, I thought the tag match was fine, and I thought Ricky was really able to solidify himself as a heel. Um, you know, once again, like I feel like he's found his mojo. I also like that Ricky and Christian went over. Um, I'm glad that Punk is willing to like you know, take an L and I saw some people like criticizing that. I was like, who gives a shit? Like, come on, like (laughs) it doesn't take long to heat someone up in the world of Mm. wrestling. You know, I agree that wins and losses matter. But when you're the star of the level of CM Punk, it doesn't hurt. You to lose once in a while, like a nothing happening tag match.
1: I mean, come on, especially
2: if it's in the name of building, you know, Starks, who cares?
1: yeah and i again it works for the story so why should it it shouldn't bother you that much I mean, if he's going to cheat to win it's it's a, still a cheat you know every single time right right exactly exactly um and i was just i
2: i thought it was cool seeing Christian and punk in the ring again together uh-huh. so, uh so um but bitching, otherwise I'll,
1: I'll never get over that promo uh, what was that <laughs> when he, uh when they've uh, fought off in uh, wwe and Punk uh, kept interrupting him by calling and saying he's bitching and bitching uh-huh. and bitching. <laughs> <laughs> um, otherwise, on
2: Collision, we had the possible retirement of Daddy Ass. Um, I'm sure it's a storyline. I did think it was well done, though. Um, I, I, you know, we had the acclaim challenging for the trios titles against House of Black. House of Black won pretty soundly in a pretty quick match, mm-hmm. uh, which I was surprised by, but you know, once I saw this angle take place, I was like, okay, that makes sense. So, and we did have daddy ass a couple months back say that, you know, if, you know, after they lost their, uh, their trios opportunity that, you know, if they couldn't win these belts, like, you know, he was going to hang it up. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I just needed to be actually reminded of that. Cause I was like, what the is going on here? <laughs> uh, But I thought this was well done and felt believable enough that it actually had people questioning it. Like the fact that you had like Malachi Black kind of whispering to him and Buddy Matthews like giving him a pat on the shoulder as he left the ring. It felt like they were paying respect to him and everything. Um, What kind of gave it away that it was bullshit was the reaction that the acclaimed had. So, I mean, it is what it is. It's a storyline. They're going to try to like move it forward. I'm sure they're going to beg for you know, daddy has to have one more mm-hmm. match with them. Um, and you know, then probably win the trios titles from house of black, which it it is what it is. I mean, they need to do something for that division. Cause right now, like, I mean, the house of blacks feuding with Andrade and that's,
0: it.
2: <laughs> now I feel like they're probably stalling until a W resigned Roosh, yes. uh, which happened this week, which I think is a great, you know, pickup by AEW, Um, and, For Roosh. I mean, I can't imagine him existing in WWE at all. It just wouldn't work. No, absolutely not. So um, he would get himself fired in a matter of months. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm guessing Andrade is going to come out with his own group eventually. He's a ladder match this week against Buddy Matthews for the mask. So we'll probably get, like, a trios match, I'm guessing, at one of these big shows uh, coming up against, like, LFI and, uh, you know, House of Black.
1: Otherwise, was there anything else that stood out to you on Collision? We also had an okay match between Sky Blue and Valkyrie. Uh, I'm still not all that impressed by Valkyrie uh, being in AEW. I don't know. She hasn't done too much for me as as far as her matches. I agree. Um,
2: You know... I think she just needs to be put in the right situation. Uh, It doesn't help like starting off in a feud with someone with a similar skill set as her, you know, with Jade. Um, I think she'll shine really going up against smaller talents, which I guess Sky Blue is. But I don't know. I I feel like that's where she really, you know, shows what she can do. I mean, yeah, this match was okay. Um, There was just no story behind it. I mean, the women's division as a whole has been in, in like, this holding pattern for the last, like, month, it feels like. I mean, part of it was due to the Owen tournament, and then part of it's due to, I believe, um, Jamie Hayter being injured. So, you know, uh, I don't know where the fuck Jade is. Like, she just disappeared for some
0: reason. Uh,
2: So I just—it feels like, once again, you know, with Tony, whenever something goes awry— it, it always feels like he has a difficulty like pivoting story wise. And I, I feel like they're stalling waiting for hater to come back. Now, not to skip shows, but on Dynamite they uh set up a I guess a number one contenders match between Nyla Rose and Sheeta, yes. which is taking place on Rampage this week. Um that just feels out of nowhere. Like I was like are these
1: two like number one contenders? Like what Yeah, I'm honestly surprised that they're not doing anything towards a you know you know a team versus team match uh, as yeah. far as that goes what were they called again the rebellion or no no the outcasts the outcast, <laughs> close <right>. enough <laughs> <laughs> um
2: because i think i mean that's what we're assuming that's what everyone was assuming mm-hmm. like it would lead to the first like female like blood and guts match um but that doesn't seem to
1: be the yeah, case that's coming on now so uh
2: Yeah, I mean, they could still do some sort of, like, you know, group versus group match, I guess, like faction versus faction match, somewhere down the line, and, like, give it some kind of gimmick, but I don't know, I mean, Uh, like, Blood and Guts came and went, and it doesn't feel like it's gonna be, like, an anarchy in the arena match, I mean, especially with all the rules that they just, like, laid mm -hmm. down, so, um, who the fuck knows where they're going, honestly, like, I Like, I feel like once Hater got injured, they just didn't know what to do. And I don't know if they were just, like, stalling to figure out exactly when she'd be able to come back. Because it felt like, okay, well, the storyline's probably leading to Tony Storm vs. Hater at All In. You know, especially since that's Hater's home country. Um, That's why I was surprised by the Sheeta announcement, or the Sheeta and Nyla Rose match. um, Because I'm assuming that's happening on TV and not on, you know, one of the pay-per-views. Unless they're setting up a pay-per-view match for All Out, you know, which is fine. Um, it just feels like after the Owen comp, the division has no direction whatsoever. Um, it, Did you see this week, too, like during Dynamite, a fan like held up a sign that said, book the women's division better mm. and the camera like stayed on it yes they <laughs> focused in on it which was like like do you think the director thought like it was
1: a compliment for a w and then oh. no i think they knew what what it meant i i feel like they're trying to say like oh we're going to do better uh but we're trying to show the because like there's been nothing but online discourse since that has been like circling the internet. You know, other companies, people from other companies being like, hey, we treat our women better. Uh, well, it's probably true, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, NXT does a fantastic job exactly. with the women's division.
2: So does Impact.
1: I think Sean so, just did another interview saying, yeah, like, are all of our women getting used properly? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it's true, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might not be the greatest matches in the world, but they're all green. I mean, that's what you get with, you know, Basically a a minor league, you know, system. So, but they're all featured um, and, you know, and they have storylines that exist outside of the title picture. Um, You know, I just I still feel like there there must have been an edict laid down by Warner Brothers saying that they only wanted one match per dynamite you know one women's match per dynamite cuz otherwise this just makes no sense mm-hmm. like cuz even if it was a rating situation you would think the bad press that you're getting alone for booking the women's division you know like this wouldn't be worth it you know like at least like w- twice a month have multiple women's matches featured on dynamite you know cuz they they they're they're, they're, they're following the same formula on collision so, I don't know. I don't know. It's just bizarre to me. Um, you know, because the bad press is eventually going to backfire on them. And if you're not featuring them on the show on a regular basis, when they do show up, you're really setting them up to fail. Especially, like, some of your younger talent. Like, they need to be out there getting experience. They can't just be sitting, you know, in the back. You know? It's just, mm-hmm. I mean, I I just don't get it. Because, um, you know, back in the day, like when the company first started, part of the problem was the lack of a women's division. You know, they didn't have the talent to facilitate like multiple women's matches on Dynamite. But now that's not an excuse whatsoever. They have plenty of talented women. Um, And fucking Tony's booking a decent women's division on roh there's multiple women's matches featured on that show every week
1: i mean it just plays into your theory that maybe they've been told to only have one because like we've seen he does like to utilize as much of his roster as he can he loves playing around with all these different types of matches so i don't know it's just so bizarre to me. I know it probably sounds
2: like we're making excuses for him. Trust me, <laughs> we're not. If you listen to this show on a regular basis, we've bitched about this from the very beginning. Um, it's just so absurd at this point that there has to be another reason behind it. Because there's no way that he could see this as a net positive, you know, at this point. Like, ratings be damned. like it, it's a, At some point, you have to sacrifice a quarter hour in the name of growth. Mm -hmm. um so i just i don't get it and he has to see that like he's an intelligent guy he knows better so i don't get it i don't get it at all but anyway (laughs) what i started off saying was this the, the whole valkyrie match was setting up a match on dynamite we had valkyrie challenging Britt baker um You know, they didn't have the best match in the world on Dynamite. I guess we're going to move over to Dynamite now. I fine. There's really not much else on Collision. (laughs) Um, It was a fine show, but it definitely felt like a filler episode. Um, but, But yeah, I mean, Valkyrie and Brit didn't have the best match, you know, of either one of their careers on Dynamite but it wasn't as bad as a lot of people are making it. Like there was one big botched spot and that was it. Um, you know, otherwise I thought it was fine. I thought they recovered from the spot fine. So it definitely feels like they're trying to get Brit on back on the winning track. Mm-hmm. And maybe like part of it's because they realize that Jamie Hater's not going to be back anytime soon. So they need to get Brit hot again. You also need to resolve this whole like outcast storyline. So, I don't know if you get, like,
1: Valkyrie involved with the group, or... I mean, she did make comments, um, uh, in her previous, on Collision, saying, like, hey, you know, I, I know these homegrown girls, like, she kind of called out be- the fact that she is an outsider, so I was like, oh, are they gonna play into that aspect or not? Yeah,
2: yeah, and I feel like she would work fine mm-hmm. in that group, that, that totally works with me, um... You know, and I mean, right now the baby faces have the advantage. Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about all the people who have stood up against the Outcasts, I mean, they all disappear after a week or two. But we've seen like <laughs> Rio, Sheeta, you know, Brit, Jamie. I mean, there's been multiple women who've like come out and made oh, sky blue. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, add more in the mix. That's fine. But you've got to get like the storyline going again. Um, you know, because otherwise it just feels like a complete waste um otherwise speaking of complete waste i just like i you know there were some good matches on dynamite but like i was expecting some like big follow-up with like the elite and they weren't even like on the show at all like we didn't even get like a you know like a backstage promo or anything like that they and they weren't even really mentioned which was weird
1: I mean, I don't know if they're trying to just, you know, hey, we were in a big match, so we'll heal our injuries. But yeah, you would think that there would at least be a backstage segment. And then BCC is running amok.
2: They were in the same fucking match and they lost. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) So that rationale doesn't make any sense, honestly. Um, I don't know. Like, it, it just felt like something happened. Like. (laughs) and they like this whole show was booked last minute Mm -hmm. and I know that wasn't the case because they announced some of these matches ahead of time but like you know like the main event was all from the fallout of the ROH main event um, for the pay-per-view so we saw the BCC you know facing off against the Best Friends and the Lucha Brothers uh, who I guess they all got involved in uh, Claudio and uh, Pac's match uh, you know for the world title I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't see where they're going with this at all. Because the match just became this, like this huge melee at the end. I think
1: it, it, the Lucha Brothers won, right? Yeah. Um, after stopping Beretta from doing a move on Penta, Penta reversed it into a package pile driver. And then this all ended up setting up a three-way between
2: Trent, Moxley, and is it Penta? yes. For uh, the 200th episode of Dynamite.
1: I thought they which, were going to
2: put uh, Cassidy in instead of Trent, just because Cassidy ran out. I think what they're, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but I think what they're doing is they're going to set up Moxley versus Cassidy at one of the two big shows coming up. Gotcha. So let's go there. Uh, the night started off with Orange Cassidy defending the title, the international title, against A.R. Fox, uh, who's getting his now fifth title shot <laughs> uh, not for the international title but I guess he's had four uh, trios title matches uh-huh. at this point and uh, one uh, TNT title shot hey, so Darby it's Allen says of,
1: he deserves it okay
2: right it, it felt because I knew when Darby was making that speech last week I was like wait a second he's had title shots before so <laughs> felt a little weird but I will say like I like the match a lot I like the video package they did before the match kind of setting up the relationship between him and Darby like would I've liked to see it maybe last week to build it a little yeah but but I thought it all did work in like a nutshell you know um you know they had a really good match together um AR Fox is definitely talented but then after Orange caught him in one of his awesome pinning maneuvers um we had AR Fox turning on Orange uh which listen I kind of get it like the whole putting like sunglasses on people's fucking face like it's a little patronizing, right? (laughs) Like I was just in this hard fought battle with you and you're trying to give me the thumbs up by putting your sunglasses on me like good job champ. Like, I don't know, man. <laughs> Damon would be a heel in wrestling. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it would feel a little insulted. Like, come on. Sure. Um. So AR Fox attacked Orange. Uh. Darby Allen came out, said, what the fuck are you doing? You know, AR Fox apologized. But at this point, I don't know about you, but you could kind of see where we're headed. Okay. Um. You know, they already announced the match between Darby and Swerve. Um, you know, for later on in the night, and lo and behold, during a fantastic match between those two guys, which I could just watch them wrestle forever. Oh, yeah. Um, AR Fox came out, interfered, and then after the match, ended up joining forces with Swerve, uh, and he is now part of the Mogul Affiliates. No. I- Embassy. Mm-hmm. And he's now part of the Mogul Embassy. Um... I think he fits well uh, him and Swerve actually have a history together from mm. uh, Lucha Underground <laughs> um, I don't know like I, I, I liked this whole storyline I like the fact that it ran throughout the entire show and I thought it was probably the best part of Dynamite honestly um, Swerve is just man he's one of my favorite AEW wrestlers right now bar none um, and I'm glad that they're finally kind of getting behind him and giving him something to do on the show. Um, you know, I, I don't know where all this is leading. I'm guessing they'll probably have a match between Swerve and Darby at one of the pay-per-views. But we do also know that Darby is supposed to be getting a TNT title shot, I believe, at All Out. Um, so maybe Swerve factors in somehow. Um, But my question is whether or not, like, Luchasaurus is going to have the belt still at that Mm. point. So because they really haven't done much to kind of set up things between uh, Darby and Luchasaurus. I mean, well, I guess he did have the back and forth with Christian.
1: (laughs) But that see, that totally threw me off because, yeah, right. (laughs) Christian does feel like the champion right now. I mean, he was trying to go luchasaurus into talking or, or making some type of stand about the title during the collision christian and i forgot all about that there's just too much wrestling yes watch now.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so i guess that was part of the storyline so they did kind of bring that all together kind of um kind of, right <laughs> um but yeah i would love to see swerve get involved in the you know that title scene um I I could definitely see him making a great like TNT champion or even like an international champion because I still feel like there's an opportunity for him to take the belt off of Cassidy. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you want to talk about he like, you know, to be the guy to finally like take the belt off of, you know, Orange, you know, after he's like wrestled this insane run, um, you know, just take advantage of this, like, you know, broken man. (laughs) I think that'd be fantastic. So um, I'm just happy that They're behind Swerve, and they're doing something with him right now.
1: I will say in that match uh, with Swerve and Darby, by the end when um, Nick Wayne got involved, you know, I I know Swerve and Nick have worked together in the past. I was surprised uh, by Nick Wayne's weak punches there.
2: He's young, right? He's 18. He's young,
1: yeah. He'll, He'll get there.
2: Right, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> just because they
2: worked in the past doesn't mean that they have an understanding where you could stiff.
1: The hey, They've done other. some harsh <laughs> stuff on the indies, so I was just assuming
2: <laughs> it's okay. Though. He's got to work on his punches. Uh-huh. that's fine. You know, I mean, the old adage is if you can't do it well, don't do it. You know, mm-hmm. in a wrestling ring, so you know maybe he stays away from the punches for a while, throw a kick or two, right? Um, you know, and, uh, until he learns to throw one. But I agree with you; they did look a little weak, but. Once again, he's 18, so let's give him a break. Um, I'm sure he'll factor in to the feud somehow. I'm guessing mm. that we're going to get, you know, a tag situation sooner than later with, you know, him and AR, you know, swerving AR Fox teaming up against Darby and Nick, um, which should be a fantastic match. So, but you know what? We totally got ahead of ourselves uh, after the opening match, which saw AR Fox turning on orange. Uh, out of nowhere came John Moxley, and he also attacked Orange yeah. Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> and that definitely feels like they're setting up for a big match, you know, at one of these, you know, big shows. So, um, you know, I could see that happening at All Out. I mean, it's a matchup that we've never seen before, I believe. Um, I'd have to check on that, but I, it feels new, right? Which is crazy to think, because, I mean, they've both been pretty much with the company since day one, but I don't think they've ever fought each other. I mean, maybe in a tag.
1: Yeah. Maybe like a, a trios or something like that.
2: Yeah. But it's definitely a fun matchup. I was really surprised though, with the direction that they took the BCC. Cause we, we all saw that like after the blood and guts match, we had this moment where they shook hands with the elite. Um And then you also had, I don't know, like Moxley, quitting on the behalf of Wheeler, trying to protect him. So I kind of assume that we we're going to be getting some kind of, like, babyface turn, you know, if not from the BCC, from Moxley. But, like, nope. Moxley came out as a fucking madman, just <laughs> out of nowhere, you know, destroying Cassidy in the middle of the ring. Because at that point, I don't think I realized what happened during the ROH pay-per-view with the whole, like, BCC and everything. So I was confused at first, but I, w- I, I was digging it. And then mm-hmm. they kind of like later on, like spell yeah, it all explain, out. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I'm glad, I'm glad that they gave us a little video package and everything like that, you know? Um, so they've been doing more of that lately. So, and I think it definitely helps the overall product. So, but yeah, I mean, a Moxley, you know, orange Cassidy match will definitely be fun. So. Otherwise we had a jungle boy interview, which it was what it was. Um, there's a whole I, I don't understand it. It looks like he's going to be feuding with Jerry Lynn, which is yes. weird. Um, <laughs> what I didn't understand was like they promoted a face to face next week. But we literally just got a face to face this week. So I was like, wait a second, because at first I was like, oh, is this going to be a match? But nope, that's not the case. That's not what the graphics said. Oh okay so um and lynn's been retired for a long time and he's retired because of injury so i don't foresee an actual match happening um so maybe someone comes to his defense i'm guessing it might be hooked but that feels a little too soon so maybe they
1: dust off another like ecw original i don't know um, I just expected um, Jack Perry to just attack him. I, I thought he's like, oh, yeah, I'll just take you out. It doesn't have to be like a legend killer thing. But it's just like, you know, it's you're, a talking about move. Next, you're talking about next week. Yeah. Next week. Just knock him I out thought it out real was fast. Good, I thought it was going to happen this week.
2: <laughs> 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 I was like, why are we stalling the inevitable? Like, just get on this. But just weird. It's like we set up a fa- another face to face, even though we're uh. having a face to face. I was like, what, what does that even mean? We also had Don Callis manipulating Jericho into a tag match against uh, Daniel Garcia and Sammy Guevara, and he's going to be teaming up with Callis's guy, Tekashta. Um I still think that this is all a swerve, and Jericho is probably going to end up getting turned on by Callis. Um, you know, that Callis is just trying to break up JAS for some reason. Um, you know, maybe he's trying to poach... You know some of the members you know like namely like garcia or sammy mm-hmm. um and then we did hear the rumor this week from fightful i believe that jericho is in line for a match against osprey at all in oh, okay. um which had a lot of people pretty disappointed i think a lot of people were hoping to see osprey omega-3 there um but with that being said, and I agree, it's a little disappointing, but maybe Omega ends up getting a title shot or something. Who knows? Um, but I feel like it's probably going to be him against Takeshita, right? Um, with all that being said, though, the only reason I even brought that up was because, you know, Osprey has been associated with Callus
1: mm-hmm. in the past.
2: So this could be a situation where Jericho, you know, turns on Callus or denies Callus. Or Callis turns on Jericho and now he's facing off against one of his quote unquote like family members. So that wouldn't make sense storyline wise, at least. So I I definitely felt like with the losing streak that Jericho was on, everything like that, that he was, you know, on the road to a baby face turn. So, um, but anyway, I think the biggest storyline otherwise that came out of Dynamite was the new wrinkle to the whole MJF uh, M. Cole drama. Um, you know, we saw a backstage interview. With, you know, MJF just annihilated <laughs>
1: FTR. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think FTR didn't see the promo before they cut their promo? <laughs> no, because he starts saying, like, I'm sure you brought up my accent. Like, he makes it sound like he's, he's just going off of, like, notes that were handed to him. Like Yes. And then, like, but the fact that, like, MJF
2: basically cut Dax's promo for him. Before Dax gets on the screen and cuts like the same fucking promo, uh-huh. like bringing up his wife and daughter and, you know, putting food on his plate and blah, blah, blah. Like he's not wrong. Like he does literally say the same shit every fucking promo. I mean, he does it well, it works mm-hmm. for
0: him. But
2: <laughs> I thought it was pretty hysterical. But the new wrinkle that we got was, you know, Adam Cole basically saying, Hey, Max, I'm your friend. I'm not coming for your world title. Um, And then Max turning around and saying, you know what, I know how much this means to you, win, lose, or draw, after their tag championship match, he's going to go ahead and give Adam Cole another title shot. Um, Which to me, like, I mean, I don't see logistically if Max is staying a heel here why he would make that choice because there's like why would he put himself in that situation mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just- so it feels genuine mm-hmm. which is insane like are we actually seeing mjf turning into a baby face But after all this, they get interrupted by Roderick Strong, who's completely incensed. Um, You know, he keeps on, you know, saying that he saw the look in MJF's eyes. Cole asks MJF to leave so he can, you know, talk to Roderick, Um, and then he basically tells Roderick to calm down. And then when Roderick refuses to, he tells him boundaries and walks away from him. Um, I don't know, man. Like I could see it going two ways. I could see it where something happens where Roderick maybe costs them the tag match. Um, and you know, MJF is suspect of, you know, strong, whether or not it was a plan between Mm. him and Cole. And then we end up having Cole having to like re-earn MJF's trust again. Or we have a situation where Cole is going to turn on MJF and he's plotting behind his back. Um, this was all part of his master plan. Um, which would just be insane to think then that you have like almost like a double turn happen where you have MJF as the baby face and Adam Cole as the heel. I mean, I feel like Adam Cole works better as a heel anyway. So um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, whatever they're doing right now is getting over and working. So mm. I say stretch it out as long as you can. Um, You could set up this match between MJF and Adam Cole at one of the, you know, pay-per-views and then, you know, end up having MJF fight against, you know, Punk, you know, in Chicago. So you could do MJF and Cole at, you know, Wembley and then, you know, do Punk and MJF at All In and you could still yeah, maybe... They end the match on uneasy terms somehow. Obviously, MJF retains, but you're kind of questioning Cole's allegiance. And then, you know, you build it into, you know, the storyline for the match for All Out. I feel like that works. You can stretch this.
1: I mean, WWE has shown you that you could definitely <laughs> stretch this shit out. So, I, I'm definitely in the camp of having um, Adam Cole be the one to turn uh, officially. You know, I I like I like the idea that he had to call like Roderick Strong down because it's like, bitch, I'm about to get a title shot at this point, like, (laughs) and you know I'm a
2: devious bastard. Uh Like you ran with me for how many years in NXT and before that, so I mean he's right, right? And like Mm -hmm. this is definitely something that we've seen him do in the past. Like this is totally you know in his wheelhouse. So I mean. A babyface Adam Cole, even though he's like the world's nicest guy, like off screen, a babyface Adam Cole, just for me in like AEW feels so weird and wrong. Um, and maybe because my only exposure to the character has really been him as a heel. Um, but it, it just I don't know, like he feels so bland as a babyface. So I'm off for the double turn here. And I, you know, if it ends up being the case where MJF and, you know. Is the babyface, why not try it? It's not like you can't turn him again in a couple months if you wanted mm. to.
1: Do. It's wrestling, it'll be fine. I mean, what we've seen Brian Danielson just show up every other week. Uh, right. A, yes. a face or a heel, whenever you
2: want it to be. Well, how great would it be to see like a babyface MJF going up against a,
1: a heel CM Punk? It would right? be fantastic. I just don't. When are they going to pull the trigger on Punk? <laughs> it's only been
2: a month, Christian. It'll no, be
1: no, fine. no. I know. I'm just like, we only have, like, what, three weeks until all yes out. You know, yes. I don't know if they're going to do it in that time. Well, if
2: something happens during that match and Cole costs MJF the, you know, the match or something like that, mm-hmm. or Punk cheats to win, that could definitely work. So there's so many different routes you can go. Um, But it's compelling. Like, I'll give them that. You know, it's something different. You know, it's taking a trope in wrestling that we've seen multiple times throughout the years. The whole can they coexist storyline, which WWE has done to the point of exhaustion now. Um, But it feels fresh and different because it's AEW. And I feel like they can do something to subvert all those expectations and really make it their own if they wanted to. So um, I'm all for it. But anyway, that really does it for this week. I know we're missing something that we probably wanted to talk about, but it's almost (laughs) four o'clock in the morning. Uh, So with that being said, make sure to join us next week for another edition of AEW Weekend Review.
1: Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform, and while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at AmazingNerdShow or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show
2: further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the
1: link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more.
2: And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture
1: and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
0: Enough is enough! I have had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane! Everybody strap in! I'm about to open some fucking windows.